0: Hi there, I'm Mark Legere, the Huddle producer who helps edit Don and David's podcast each week. They're taking a much-deserved holiday break, so we're rebroadcasting one of their great conversations from earlier this year. After many failed attempts by others to generate power from the world's highest and most powerful tides, Sustainable Marine is taking a different approach to harnessing the tidal power of the Bay of Fundy. CEO Jason Heyman joins David and Don to talk about the potential to power 2 million homes in Nova Scotia and help replace coal-generated electricity with renewable energy. Also, in early January, we're planning a special edition of the podcast, an opportunity for you to ask David and Don about the big issues for the region's economy in 2023. Do you have a question for them? Send us an email at news@huddletoday, and we'll get it on the list for David and Don. That's news at huddle.today. Now on with the show.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, a very interesting conversation with the CEO of Sustainable Marine, Jason Heyman, who have a demonstration project using new technology to harness the tides of the Bay of Fundy. And, and this is, by, by the way, this is something that I'm personally fascinated in. I mean, the, the energy potential of the Bay of Fundy is enormous based on our conversation. And it is the ultimate renewable source of energy, is it not?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there are very few things that Atlantic Canada and particularly Nova Scotia and New Brunswick can claim to be f- very unique. And the Bay of Fundy is one of those things that's very unique. It's not that there's not tides around the world, but because of the nature of the Bay of Fundy, we have the highest tides in the world, generating a tremendous amount of force and, and harnessing that force as an energy source is a very interesting idea. But as we talk about in the discussion with Jason Heyman, you know, it's been tried now for a number of years. So they've got a new technology, a very interesting new technology. They're very optimistic. They've invested tens of millions of dollars in this technology and they believe they might have cracked the nut here and they might be able to produce grid scale, uh, tidal energy to feed the, the market in Nova Scotia and around uh, the region.
1: Yeah. And we asked them about what the potential was of tidal power and it's, uh, it's enough apparently to, uh, service 2 million homes a year with uh, with energy that's that's, that's a big, that's a, a lot of energy and uh, there has been challenges in previous uh, projects because they've used underwater platforms which have been proven not to be strong enough for the forces of the bay of fundy and um, you know th- their technology is surface uh, floating uh, platform basically uh to run turbines on the surface which you know there are challenges with that too because obviously the bay of Fundy can be a fierce water body from time to time and uh, and uh but they, they seem to have uh, gotten off to a good start with their demonstration project which is um in actually a second generation one uh that produces a little over 400 kilowatts of uh energy Enough to uh, power 225 homes, so it's a good demonstration project. And they're doing it in Ga- Grand Passage, which is not the ultimate site that they're looking at. And uh, he talked about what their plans are, which are really uh, quite ambitious and uh, you know uh,
2: exciting, really. It's a great example of entrepreneurship. You know, you're deploying tens of millions of dollars in a in a technology that's not proven, but if it does prove out and is successful. You know, the, the payoff will be that you've got a technology that can be deployed in the Bay of Fundy, but also in many places around the world, and you build a successful company out of that. So I admire this kind of entrepreneurship because of the high level of capital investment required. Uh, but again, if it's successful, the payoff will also be good. So um, it's a good example, and I'm glad that the Nova Scotia government has seen fit to uh, encourage this type of project uh, in, uh, in this region.
1: And one of the points that he made, and I think we it, it's worth uh, emphasizing, is that you need to get the scale to make the cost of the kilowatt hour uh, you know, competitive with other renewals at least, if if not uh, cold or whatever we're currently using. Uh, he said that there's kind of two thresholds that, he, that they're getting to. One is to get to, get to about 10 megawatts uh, over the next uh, short period of time. Uh, and then eventually to get to at least 100 megawatts. And, uh, you know, that's going to take a big investment. He, he, he feels that he's got the uh, funding for this in place. It just has to prove that it works. And so, you know, this is our best chance to date of harnessing the tides of the Bay of Funding.
2: Yeah, I don't know where the numbers are today, Don, but not that long ago, I heard that uh, onshore wind is now running about $2 million investment per megawatt. So if he can get up to 100 you know and if he can if it takes about 200 million dollars of fresh investment to get there, that would put them sort of on par with wind. But as we talk about in the discussion, it's a little trickier because wind is, you know let's say 100 million or 200 million in capacity, but that's not that's maximum capacity. If the wind was blowing all the time at a high level of intensity, and with tidal, you have more predictability there because you know when those tides are coming in and when they're going out. It's very predictable, so it's more like baseload power, uh, which makes uh, makes it makes it uh, a little different,
1: a lot more attractive. And, and 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 you know, he predicted that he'd like to see uh, tidal power to be at least uh, in the top three of the renewals in in uh, in Nova Scotia, and I, I I would bet that you know that means. Uh, the maritimes at least would benefit from it uh, at some point in the future and then and then there's a real uh, opportunity of it being an export product for this region which is exciting on its own so a lot of potential i think people who have been wondering about tidal power this is a good primer for learning about tidal power and the challenges of uh, you know dealing with a the body of water like the bay of fundy And I think people will really learn a lot by our conversation. I know I did. So uh, let's listen to our conversation with Jason Heyman. Here it is. Jason, welcome to the Insights Podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom.
2: Let's begin by finding out a little bit about your background. Can you tell us about your path to your present role as CEO of Sustainable Marine?
3: Sure. Um, Yeah, and anything but linear. Um, I'm originally a naval architect. So um, that means, of course, I, I started... Uh, down that path to design yachts and got nowhere near that. Um, Ended up working actually for the dirty side of things, foiling gas, uh, designing, lifting, and handling equipment to go on vessels. Um, And then ended up working for a consultancy where one day some guys came in the door and asked us if we could figure out how to deploy a tidal turbine for them. And uh, and that was in Korea, that particular tidal turbine. And um, and yeah, so we went out uh, on that job and uh, deployed it quite successfully back in 2009-10, but we came up with a sort of better uh, or a different way to deploy it, I suppose a second generation more technology. And um, so I then became a sort of business founder, I suppose, and had to go out and try and raise investment and things to, to develop the idea and ended up being the CEO of the company 10 years later.
2: So Sustainable Marine is headquartered in Edinburgh, Scotland, and has offices in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, as well as Germany. Can you tell us about the company itself and its focus? How did you end up with an office in Nova Scotia?
3: Sure. So our focus is on, uh, I suppose, developing and deploying marine renewable energy solutions that are easy to install and and maintain. And that's really where we're coming from, from from a background of deploying things in challenging marine environments. Our largest shareholder is a company called Shuttle, And uh, so they're based in Germany. They're um, a propulsion manufacturer is celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. And so they've been uh, strong supporters and partners. They were originally the ones that came in to Nova Scotia answering the tender for births at force um, and took a, a, a birth at force through their subsidiary BlackRock Tidal Power back in 2014. They invested quite a bit in developing that technology, but then realized it was um, had some technical and um, cost challenges associated with it. And so 2017, they parked it. We have been working with them using their turbines um, for several years at that point on a smaller scale system um, that had subsequently gone through a couple of iterations and was looking pretty promising and so uh, they invited us over to have a look at um, the setup there in Canada and Nova Scotia and um, and uh, asked us whether whether uh, we'd like to merge our title business units and uh, and take the project on um, with our technology um, and at that point we said yes um, however we didn't want to go straight to force and so we uh, found the Grand Passage site is a sort of stepping stone site to uh, do our development work at.
1: Yes, so Jason, uh, tidal power has been a topic of interest in this region for as long as I can remember. Obviously, an an enormous uh, source of energy with those tides. Perhaps you can tell us about the energy potential associated with harnessing tidal power. How much power can be eventually generated from the tides of the Bay of Fundy, uh, in your opinion, looking ahead?
3: Yeah, so there's it's a it's a fascinating question. I mean, yeah, people have been uh, looking at the potential of it for for, for decades, if not longer. Um, and a, a lot of the estimates do vary. Um, you know, people talk about what's called practically extractable resource. So, so what? How much? How how much tidal energy could you actually practically extract without sort of, I suppose, doing any significant damage? And so. Those numbers tend to come out in the order of 2,500 megawatts or two and a half gigawatts. So um, it's just uh, quite a lot of energy, um, I suppose, sort of two and a half standard nuclear power stations, I suppose.
1: Well, well let's let's just explain that a l- little bit more for our listeners because, you know, this is probably foreign <laughs> material for most people. When you say two and a half uh, gigabytes, what is it? What's Two and a half gigawatts, gigawatts. Gigawatts. Okay, so yep. there you go. How do you? What would that translate in terms of, for instance, uh, energy to uh, run households? How many households would that be able to run? Just to try to put it in perspective.
3: Yeah, so I suppose the, the, the rough rule of thumb would be um, one kilowatt is sort of the average use of one household over a 24-hour period. So, um, so fundamentally, if it's, uh, if you're generating 2000 kilowatts, that'd be 2000 homes, Um, that'd be two megawatts. Um, So you're talking about two million, two and a half million homes potentially that you would be powering if you have two and a half gigawatts.
1: Wow. So that, that's, that's amazing. So I guess that kind of gets to my next question. You know, I wanted to ask if you would anticipate that at some point in the future, there would be sufficient tidal power from the Bay Fundy to one day become uh, an export uh, product for the region, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Uh, The answer would be yes. Yes, yes. and, And again, just to pursue that for a second, like, you know, we're going to get into kind of where you are in the project and that sort of stuff, but is that kind of a really long ways away or is that, you know, in the foreseeable future that that possibility exists?
3: I'm I'm, I'm going to say, Don, that that depends on people's, uh, well, a little bit of political will and ambition. Um, But it's probably not that far away. I mean, we've seen um, in the UK um, offshore wind take off and grow within 15 Mm. years from practically zero to 30 gigawatts. Mm. So it is possible to roll these technologies out pretty quickly if there is sufficient demand and the right environment to do so.
2: So we're going to come back. Uh, Jason talked to you about the cost of uh, tidal energy in a moment but before we get there I did want to ask you about the sort of environment for tidal energy in the Bay of Fundy there over the years there have been a number of attempts to use tidal power I think there is one functioning uh, station a very small one in in the Bay of Fundy on the Nova Scotia side but the power of the tides in the Bay of Fundy are said to be the most powerful in the world but there's lots of issues around silt and everything else. Can you give us a little understanding of why previous attempts at tidal energy in the Bay of Fundy have failed? Do you have any sense of of why we haven't been able to harness that yet?
3: Yeah, and and I suppose, so so what I would say is there's two, just to start this question, there's two types of tidal energy that people talk about. One is barrages, where basically you're putting up effectively a dam um, that then fills up and then, um, the, the water flows out of it, which is sort of a form of low head hydro. And that's what the Annapolis um, power plant was. Um, and that has its own set of issues. Um, our tidal energy is in-stream tidal energy where we're putting turbines, which are effectively like, if you like, stubby little wind turbines in in the flow. So we're not using the, the potential head. We're not using the rise and fall. We're using the current to drive our turbines, which are like, are like you know, like I said, like stubby wind turbines. And so, and so what we're looking for are places where that current is flowing really fast. And then there's a lot of kinetic energy there, um, especially with the density of water being a thousand times greater than air. So yeah. in a place like the minus Passage, you've got currents that go through there at 10 knots. Um, now, in equivalent terms, if you think about like wind, that would be like trying to build a wind farm in a hurricane. So yeah. luckily, the tide is predictable though. And it, re- it ramps up and then it ramps down and it stops for about an hour and you get your slack tides and that's when you got to get your useful work done. Um, so you get breaks in the, in the, I suppose the hurricane takes little breaks, but yeah, so that makes a really challenging working environment. Um, and then the other thing is, I suppose what we call sort of the first generation bottom mounted turbines, they relied on ballast to hold them on the seabed. So, um, so then you're talking about something that's just really heavy um, because of course it's got to react, be had to react those large forces. So in this case it's something like um, the, the, the previous turbine, um, you know, that's down there, it's like 1100 ton lift that you're talking about. And of course, lifting something in sea is, is, is an order of a couple orders of magnitude more expensive than lifting something on land. Um, just because of, um, you know, you need to react all the forces Um, Through a vessel with buoyancy, you've got to have um, people to operate it and everything else. So so when you have something which weighs 1,100 tons and um, if a $5 component fails, you have to lift that back to the surface um, within these small windows of opportunity, it becomes quite a challenging and expensive operation.
2: So you are proposing to use a surface power generation technology. What are the main advantages associated with this floating tidal energy platform compared to these underwater um, technologies? Um, obviously you're, the the maintenance issues are a huge issue as you just described.
3: So I suppose what we're trying to do is is make it a bit more akin to looking after a sort of normal boat. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we use the same type of technology to harness and convert the energy. I.e. It's a it's a horizontal axis um, turbine. Like I said, it looks like stubby wind turbines. The difference is we're hanging them off the back of a floating trimaran, um, a bit like outboards off the back of a boat. Um, and then that trimaran is moored um, on a swinging mooring for all intents and purposes, just like, uh, you know, yachts on a, got sort ships on a mooring. So, um, so what we're then able to do is, is of course it aligns passively with the tide. Um, we can also bring the turbines out of the water if there's a storm coming, or if there's, let's say ice bits or debris in the water that we're concerned about, we can raise the turbines up out of the water, let it pass by and then put them down afterwards. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and we can get onto it, we can maintain it. So, you know, guys can go out with a small, we have a, a little 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 vessel a 26-foot vessel that they can go out every day and jump on and um, you know paint things maintain it um, check on stuff um, and really um, look after it like a like a like a normal boat. and you can get to everything and you can something breaks or you want to change something you want to try something different you can change it out because you can get to it
2: so you say just a quick follow-up you say the tidal energy uh, is, is fairly broadly deployed in Scotland and elsewhere. Is it, is this specific technology, have you deployed it elsewhere?
3: Yeah. So, so tidal energy technology, isn't that, you know, uh, isn't, isn't that plentiful yet, right? There's, okay. You've only got, you've only got a couple of projects in Scotland. Uh, you got a couple of projects in France, a couple of projects in Korea. So it's, okay. you know, it's all demonstrates what I would call demonstration projects, um, everywhere at the moment. Um, so certainly Nova Scotia is not that far behind the curve and, uh, and, and, and certainly has the potential to, to, to get ahead of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, sorry, David, you might have to remind me what the second part well, of is. Well, just whether or is. not this specific
2: technology that you're proposing is being tested or trialed anywhere else in the world.
3: Yeah, so we so we did our initial testing in Scotland uh, in 2016-17 we did in fact our first um, our first ever system down in the down in uh, down near the Isle of Wight in the solvent there instead sort of 1415 um, but where we settled I suppose we moved that system we brought it across um, to Canada in 2018 and we've been doing all of our development there since um, there is another competitor um, in the space that, that also has a floating um, system with horizontal axis turbines that's that's uh, or vet two competitors that have been testing their their equipment up at emec the European Marine energy Center in, in orkney in Scotland um, so we're not the you know we're not the only ones um, but we're one of a, a small pack I suppose
1: so uh, I'd like to just switch topics for a second obviously there's always uh, environmental concerns for every development project now so that it has it has to be Looked at what are the known environmental impacts associated with your tidal power technology?
3: Yeah, that's a, a, an excellent question, Don. I suppose the key word there being known, right? Yeah. So um, there are no known local mm. environmental impacts. Um, no negative interactions have been um, have been seen, or um, uh, have been. Yeah, I suppose are known to have occurred um, with any form of in-stream tidal energy technology. Um, now, of course, there's environmental impacts associated with, as normal, if you build something out of steel, um, there's a lot of embedded carbon there. Um, you know, you, there's the materials and everything, the normal sort of concerns around recycling and everything else. Um, and there could be, um, at some point, some, uh, some sort of interaction with marine animals, um, for sure. Um, but at the moment we're trying to we're doing a lot of monitoring and uh, a lot of work to sort of see you know if that happens but we haven't seen anything to date that's adverse in any way to marine animals uh, or fish yeah so, I guess the
1: big yeah. one for the Bay of Fundy would be whales right it's a yep. big whale um, yep. sort of gathering spot uh, you've already mentioned kind of how long you've been uh, uh, sort of testing to developing your technology Um And But I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've been at it, I guess, with this technology for at least five years, by the sounds of it, maybe a bit more. What are some of the key challenges that you had to overcome in the development of, I guess you call it the plat eye technology? Is that what it is?
3: Sure. Yeah. So, 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 PLAT I stands for platform inshore. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, have to, you have to pardon oh, there, us okay, engineers for, um, for, for, <laughs> for coming up with, with silly acronyms. And we originally started off actually developing a, a different type of platform, which is a mid water one that we call plateau for offshore. And so, it was designed for environments where um, there's a lot of waves, like the Pentland Firth in Scotland, where you maybe don't want it on the surface. But what we actually, in, in, uh, and it all worked. Our first prototype and everything, but we found it was it was very complicated and expensive. We said, "Hold on, why aren't we doing this thing on the surface first and within channels where you know it's going to be a lot less complicated and, and a lot lower um, costs?" So I suppose, low, you know, bring the bring the goal line a bit closer. But yeah, so it's been, I suppose, yeah. But the, the total journey has been. Uh, it's just coming up on a decade actually. Our oh, okay. our, our, our our company was founded in July of uh, of twenty twelve. And um, and so, of course, the first challenge when you're developing this sort of stuff is finding the money. (laughs) So we were very lucky. We got some early support from uh, the the Department of uh, Energy and Climate Change as it was then. In, in the UK um, who gave us a bit of a grant that we were able to match up with some angel investment. Um, and, uh, and, and off to the races, we went and, and the races then extended to tank testing. So, you know, mm. when you're, when you're doing these things, you, you start off, you have a design people think, Oh, you can go from the computer to real life these days in one fell swoop, but it, it doesn't really work like that. You still, you got to put the, the time in and do the physical testing. So it's been a very rigorous, engineering that approach um through several rounds of tank testing and prototyping and so um so we did the original plateau one and then we've done two versions of the uh plate so the one that's installed in grand passage now is our is our third platform i suppose that we've uh, that we've developed
1: i think dal has a, a wave tank does it not have you used their tank
3: it does we we we, we haven't because unfortunately it's um so so what we're generally testing in are flumes um, so okay. yep, yeah, so it's the so it's the moving water that we right. that we sort of require, yeah, right. and and at high enough speeds.
1: Right. Now, uh, you mentioned already the pace of the water current at ten knots. So I'm I'm supposing that keeping that anchored in one spot is challenging. I have a boat on a mooring that I worry about quite often, so I understand that problem, but you've you've developed your own anchoring systems which are would be important to environments like the bay of Fundy, where the weather conditions as you know can be extreme uh can you tell us about the ability of your anchor systems to work in such harsh environments sure so um yeah i mean i'll give you an idea
3: of the forces involved so um you know two of our little turbines that we have, we have six of them on the, on the laser generation platform, but but two of them basically have the same amount of thrust as an F-35 fighter jet on full afterburner. So, (laughs) so if you were to take, so, so basically the, 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 the the platform of six turbines is like having three F-35s on a leash, um, full afterburner. Um, so, so that's what our anchors have to be able to do, um, and, and our moorings. So our moorings are probably a little bit beefier than the one you have on your boat. Um, they're, they're, they're generally pretty chunky chain. We're using about 55 mil chain. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty big stuff, um, with a sort of, you know, uh, a, a brake load of a few hundred tons. And so, and, and the other challenge that you have then when you want to react that load into the seabed. Is that and uh, it's got a good, good and a positive and pros and cons like all these things. Is that it's the seabed tends to be quite scoured because any sediment gets carried away by the currents, um, so you end up with bare rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way that people have traditionally, you know, gone about dealing with that is to put a bunch more something, bunch more weight down there. Now it seems silly for us to go and take more rock to put on rock. So we're like, why can't we use the rock that's there? And so we developed um, a machine that we can drop down onto the seabed and using remote control, we can drill our own anchors into the rock. And Uh so we end up with an anchor that's about 250 millimeters in diameter, uses super duplex stainless steel, so it'll never corrode. um, And uh, and it's about almost four meters long, so it can take uh, massive loads, almost up to a thousand tons.
1: Wow, that's, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, thank you for that information. Maybe I could find some rock for my boat. To, uh, to... <laughs>
3: Absolutely. Well, we could do smaller versions as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: there might be other applications, right? <laughs> oh, sure. So
2: I'm actually a big fan of the Nova Scotia government and its focus on trying to develop tidal energy in the Bay of Fundy. It is one of uh, a fairly unique asset we have in terms of uh, the Bay and its its potential for energy. Um, but what are the regulatory requirements, though, of siting these generators in the Bay of Fundy, particularly, as Don mentioned earlier, you've got fishing issues, you've got shipping and navigation issues. So what are the regulatory uh, requirements?
3: Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I, I, you know, the province of Nova Scotia should definitely be applauded for being very progressive in its um and its approach to this, and and it's one of the few jurisdictions in the world, in fact, that's gone and put in place a specific regulatory framework around it with the Marine Renewable Energy Act. And as part of that, what they did is they went and looked at where suitable places are for these sites. Now, of course, it it works out quite well, because where you have fast currents, um, it's generally not much good for anything else. You know, where there's 10 knots of current, you're not going to fish there. You're not going to moor anything else there. Um, you're not going to, there's no other activity, in fact, that takes place in, in a place that has those kind of currents. Um, if you were going to go, I don't know, drill for oil and gas, you would say not viable, you know. Um, so, so, so the great thing is you don't tend to end up in a situation where you're really competing against other uh, users or stakeholders, except for navigation, um, I would say is, is the one thing. So, so of course, um, that's the one thing that you need to be careful of, and that's where we've had to pay a lot of attention. And there's basically so from the provincial point of view, I suppose you know it's all pretty well set out in the Marine Renewable Energy Act, uh, where the different sites are that you're allowed to go and 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 you can apply for demonstration permits. But then from a federal perspective, of course, you need to deal with Transport Canada and you need to um, advise them about your project and 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 ensure that you've you've looked at the navigational or the risk to navigation and that you understand what areas the vessels are using and how they're using them. Um, and that you are not going to present a, or, or pose a risk to navigation. And then, of course, the other the other federal regulator who's involved is uh, is DFO Department of Fish or Fisheries and Oceans, and and they're more looking at it from a um, potential harm to marine life uh, perspective.
2: Uh, have you faced any opposition specifically to where your uh, floating energy uh, platform is located?
3: Uh, no, not and uh, so we. we paid a lot of attention, I suppose, we, we did a lot of stocks, local stakeholder consultation in Grand Passage. Um, we, it's off to the side of the channel, I suppose, so it's not, so we're not at all sort of blocking the main channel. You know, we, and it's well known, it was in the media, we, we did have one altercation where, where, where a fishing boat um, did actually manage to uh, to, to to have a little go at us one day um back when we were first there in 2019 um but um you know the chap knew it was there it was, it was unfortunately a sort of a navigational uh, mistake and, and those happen. it's it's interesting there's there, there has we've heard of some opposition to where the force site is located from some people but i mean it, it's sort of it, it is we've we've had a pretty good look at it we feel pretty comfortable that there's not much um going through that channel that we would pose any risk to, and in fact, and once again, the site is not in the main part of the channel of the minus channel; it's it's just to the north side of it, and it's a pretty wide channel there, five kilometers wide. Um, so, um, yeah, we don't we don't really see why there would be any be any issues there. So, just
2: following up on that, just a bit though, in your public consultations um, and discussions with folks that live in the community there, the area. Are there, what's the general response have been? Is it sort of just passive because of the fact that it's, there's there's such a wide channel or, I mean, I guess, I guess the general point of this question is that we have seen some NIMBYism arriving or arising around a number of renewable energy projects, whether it's onshore wind or offshore wind or whatever. And I'm just trying to get a sense of whether you're facing any kind of organized, uh, backlash or NIMBYism related to what you're trying to do in Grand Passage.
3: Yeah, so in Grand Passage, we've had an extremely positive experience. Um, it really has been. And, and I suppose, and that's, you know, um, you know look, I come from New Zealand originally, I come from an Highland community. Um, I know you've got to earn trust in these communities. Um, you can't come in making grandiose promises. You've just got to actually you know, get on with it and figure out how to work with people, make sure you don't get in people's way. And uh, and and be neighbourly and be a good contributing member of the community. And, and I suppose you know we came in and we and we worked with Aftereo across from the Patagonian Shore there for the for the uh, for the assembly and the installation. And then we engaged um, local marine contractors and, in fact, local fishermen um, who helped tow the platform. So they. Local fishermen actually helped tow the platform into their community. Um, we've hired local people. We've rented space um, locally. Um, you know, and and we hopefully now, after um, I suppose four years, almost there. We're, we're sort of fairly well integrated into the into the community, and um, you know, we're there for the long term. Title resource isn't going anywhere, and and, and we want to be a fundamentally a good a, a good part of that. So we haven't faced any any particular resistance of any kind. In fact, it's been a very positive experience um, at Grand Passage. And we just recently had a, had an event down there where um, uh, Tim Holman, the Minister of Environment, came down and you know, sort of clicked the button and for the Power Off event, and, and we gave him and then a lot of local residents a tour of the platform. And um, actually, one of them came up and gave me a hug afterwards and said, thank you, we've been, we've been waiting for this for, for years, we've been promised it, it's great, it's finally here. And it was extremely moving um, for the whole team. Um, to have people from the local community come and say we've been, you know, we've been told about this potential, and it's, and it's fantastic to have it there. So, so that's been a really positive experience. Um, we, we 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 do know there are a couple of people um, who have been sort of antagonising things around the the sort of front force, I suppose. Um, you know, I think they're sort of fairly well known um, protagonists, but it. Uh, I suppose what I'm saying is there's no organized, uh, I haven't seen any sign of any sort of organized things. There's as a, as a, as a couple of people who like to like to maybe, you know, have their say on, on social media and things like that, and, you know, might be a bit negative. Um, but there's nothing that sort of I would, I would sort of say is a sort of, um, I, I think the general sentiment's been very positive, actually. So most people seem to, seem to want it. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, so let, let's just turn uh, to the... Uh economic uh, side of the the equation, uh, as you might know, David and I have a strong interest in things that help grow our economy. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, so this is is one that has great potential benefit uh, to the region, obviously. Uh, Let's start with how much has your company invested in Nova Scotia so far on this project?
3: (laughs) Yeah, let's um, say it's in the low tens of millions. So far, wow. So, so, okay,
1: yeah. I'd like to ask you. This is probably a tough question. You probably don't get to ask this very much, but like we we would like to know kind of if you have an estimate of the economic impact of your work in Nova Scotia, kind of kind of currently, and and then looking, uh, I don't know, down down the road a bit. Maybe let's say let's let's pick a, a time frame. Let's say in ten years' time, what would it be? Mm. Where is it today? What would it be then? And and potentially also answer the question about, uh, you know, the, the jobs that might be associated with it o- over that period of time.
3: If you sure. Could. Sure. So I suppose, I mean, at the moment, I mean, to give you some indication actually our operation in Nova Scotia is our largest operation because we're, we're doing stuff. So, you know, while we have right. sort of some management engineers and, and things in the UK and Germany, um, it's where you're physically doing things that that, that create the most jobs, um, right. and so we're up to a team in Nova Scotia is almost twenty at the moment. Um, you know, our, our, our burn rate's sort of up around, sort of you know, coming up around ten million a year now. So, right. um, so it's pretty significant, even at the stage that we're at now, where we're right. just sort of. Um, you know, doing doing this sort of, I suppose, testing and demonstration phase because as, as you might know, we, we, we have our own vessel um, that we run. We have two crews on that. We have guys down at site all the time now that we're in the testing phase who are constantly monitoring and, and running the thing as well as the well as the office in Dartmouth. So um, it's 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 not a small operation. But the reason for doing that, of course, is because we believe that, that there's a much bigger opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, if we could build out our whole force project. I mean, we're talking about something like a hundred million dollar investment, um, and most of that is going to be. And I know, yes, we have been recipients of of, of government grants, but most yeah. of that money um, is, in fact, foreign direct investment um, coming in um, into the into the coming. That we've actually sold. Um, uh, our, our customer for the Forest Project that we're working with from project finance point of view is a company called Reconcept out of Hamburg, Germany. And so that money is coming from Germany into Nova Scotia. Um, so, so I think, you know, I mean, the potential here is, is, is vast, is vast, um, absolutely vast. And, and I think, um, you know, and it's something that's going you know, to end up, if, if it plays out right, it'll end up with a very high um, percentage of local content Um, you'll end up with long-term jobs because these projects will be there for a long time. And so people, you know, just like uh, maintaining and and refitting boats, you know, you'll be maintaining and refitting these platforms and the tide's not going anywhere. It's a resource that's not going to run out. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, so very difficult for someone to come and take those jobs away. Hmm.
2: So Nova Scotia, of course, has a, a lot of coal-fired energy that they need to uh, displace uh, in the coming years. Um, and there's lots of opportunities, of course. There's, there's uh, hydroelectricity coming from, uh, from Labrador. They're, they've just announced not that long ago a fairly large-scale onshore wind project. Um, so I guess the question would be when it comes to tidal power, we're trying to get a sense of where the where the cost comparison sits. We understand it's relatively small scale now, but, but do you anticipate the cost of generating tidal power to be similar to wind and offshore wind and some of, the, of these other forms of renewable, maybe even SMR, small modular reactor nuclear energy over time? So where do you ultimately see the cost of tidal uh, power, the cost of generating tidal power to sit in terms of uh, comparison from a cost perspective with other sources of renewable energy.
3: Sure, that's an excellent question and probably one of the main the main ones, of course, that anybody's interested in. Um, but look, the you know it's it, and as you mentioned, it's very early stage at the moment, so uh, very difficult actually to do LCOE of one data point. Um, you know, the, that's what force our project of force is about is in fact to get multiple uh, devices. Um, uh, deployed and um, and to show what that learning curve is. So traditionally, within um, you know uh, things like shipbuilding, uh, production of wind turbines, uh, you tend to see something like a sixteen to eighteen percent learning rate with these types of technologies. And there's no reason it's it's pretty um, well aligned. There's no reason why you wouldn't see that type of learning rate with tidal. So then, so then, the, really, it becomes down to. Um, you know, your cost is going to is 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 going to come down with scale of deployments. Um, and so you need to get that cumulative scale of deployment up to get your cost down. If you only do a little bit of it, it's going to be expensive. If you do a lot of it, it's going to be cheap, um, and that's the same for energy. Any any energy project, by the way, you know, if you go into a small a small diesel plant, it's going to be pretty expensive energy. If you if you go into a a, a big one, it's, it's it's expensive. The only the only one I would say doesn't um, necessarily follow that. Um, follow that model um, is in fact nuclear um, because, of course, if you apply a high enough discount rate to your LCOE calculation, the cost of uh, decommissioning and storing the nuclear waste, of course, goes to zero So, uh, in your present value calculation. So, um, you know, the fact is um, I I think tidal can get down to the same sort of levels as as offshore wind. Um, And I think also, you know, like I'm not just a a, 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 a tidal person. We need everything that we can get access to in terms of renewables, um, everything that you've got in the box. And you want a portfolio approach. If you want to have security of supply and you want to have a stable economy, and then use what's in your backyard. If you've got tidal resource in your backyard, use it. If you've got wind resource in your backyard, use it. If you've got sun, use that. And uh, and then you can end up with uh, a solid. Stable, sustainable, long-term economy.
2: It's probably a, a, a bad question. It's actually deviating a bit from our question list here. I apologize, but do you have any sense of the scale you're you're expecting in Nova Scotia from from tidal energy? If things go well, you know, if if you're successful uh, as you move out here, are you looking at sort of twenty megawatts, ten megawatts, five megawatts? Where where do you see this? Because you do, it, it does seem to me as an economist, you do have fairly high fixed costs here. Yep. And so you're trying to drive those fixed costs down against your variable costs. So you, you, you're going to need some level of scale. So do you have any sense or is it way too premature
3: to even ask that question? I know that we would hope um, or there is potential there for hundreds of megawatts for sure. And so, you know, that's I think really what we've got to be aiming for. Um, you know, we're, we're in a climate emergency. Um, There is some urgency to this. And uh, what we do here in the next eight to 10 years is really going to determine the legacy that we're going to leave for our kids and our grandkids on this planet. So uh, we need to get this stuff in the water and rolled out. And um, and, and right now, unfortunately, Nova Scotia is still burning tremendous amounts of coal. So we need to get off that as quickly as we can
1: yeah i just want to dive a little bit further than that so th- there's always a a break point where scale reaches the level that it makes a difference to the cost do you have an idea of what what that number is uh, yeah you know, so conservatively yeah. for your operation
3: sure i mean roughly i would say there's this sort of i suppose there's inflection points right so so the first one is about 10 megawatts you know uh, where i would say we're we're into um, being able to make money as a company at right. the sort of feed-in tariffs, right? Right. So, because people assume, "Oh, this is great feed-in tariff. You are going to make money with your first machine." <laughs> Heck no, right? We've got right. ten years of R and D to pay for here. Right. So, 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 so we need to be getting to about ten megawatts deployed. I would say in the project before, before, at the current feed-in tariff rates before we're making money. Then your next inflection point, where I would say, let's say you are going to achieve some form of grid parity. You're probably looking at 100 megawatts in the, within a, within the same locate in the same locale, right? So right. That you can, to David's point, you can you can uh, yep. properly utilize that 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 fixed infrastructure, um, and, uh, and
1: and sweat those assets. Again, I'm I'm trying to put it in perspective for our listeners. So if you got to 100 megawatts, what percentage of electric use would that be in Nova Scotia? Do you have any idea what it might be?
3: I, I, I have to admit, I, I don't know that I've seen the numbers, but I, I can't remember them off the top of my head. I don't want to misquote. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it'd be fairly significant. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, what I do know is around us, for example, if you look at the, the wind farm there at the top of the Digby neck, yeah. um, that's a fairly small one, but it's 30 megawatts, right? So we're not talking yeah. that much. We're talking three Digby wind farms. You know? Right. Um, right. so, and I think the current tender that the province has out is what 400 megawatts in the wind for, yeah, for the wind, right. for the current round. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so we're talking about a quarter of that. So, right. um, yeah. yeah.
2: But just since, sorry, just since you went there, Jason. So when you yeah. say a hundred megawatts, are you talking about of, of, of maximum capacity or that would be the actual throughput? No, because I, with the wind, right? We talk about a 400 megawatt wind. That's if the wind is blowing at a maximum at any given time. But over a longer period of time, you won't get 100 or 400 megawatts. So, how's yeah. that interaction play with with tidal? Is it what is the efficiency of tidal versus wind?
3: Yeah. So, so I, I was going to say we we talk because it's the same, I suppose, in terms of you, you talk about the capacity of the equipment deployed um so uh so if we talk about 100 megawatts it's, it's the same as talking about 100 megawatts of wind. the difference is our capacity factor um is a bit higher probably than than, than a lot of wind farms um it, a site like force is a good site i mean you're talking over 50 percent capacity factor um, which is extremely efficient and it's also reliable right so you can and you know where it's you know when that energy is going to be generated you can in fact plot it ahead a thousand years if you want so uh, within a pretty small margin of error so so one of the things is I suppose it's which brings you to an interesting question which is then okay what's the value of that relative to um, to let's say wind which um, is, is is less dispatchable I suppose um, and sort of you know once again you're not you're not matching load with tidal um, but but you do know when it's coming so you can plan um, how to use or how to store that energy
2: yeah, you as you said earlier, it's more predictable than wind. Yeah. Because yeah. the tides are coming and going at a more predictable
3: level. Yeah, completely predictable. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and that is that is what's unique. You could actually use tidal energy as base load energy.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Uh sustainable marine uh obviously recently commissioned its first i guess it's, it's a 280 kilowatt floating energy platform is that right
3: so the, so the so the one we've just commissioned is in fact 420 so 280 was the first prototype that we installed in 2018 okay. and our okay. and that gives you some idea how how rapidly things are scaling so so right. our, our our next our next device is 420 so a 50 increase
1: yeah so that's Enough for two, what 225 households or something like that, roughly it,
3: it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, in the Grand Passage, it's a fairly moderate resource site. So, yeah. we, the reason yeah. we went there is because it's a sort of stepping stone to force. So, we're not quite getting 50% capacity factors at Grand Passage, but
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, tell us how the commissioning has gone to date. It's only been a short time, I know, but uh, so yeah, far, sure.
3: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty well, actually. Um, you know, we had uh, uh we We had a few challenges, um, I suppose, to get things moving during COVID there. And and Mm. we actually made a a, a sort of concerted effort, actually, to sort of work with the the local community and sort of stay away a little bit and not bring people in from overseas and and, and down from Halifax and things. So so we got off to a little bit of a delayed start. Um, But in the end, um, and and there's some fun and games with with, with the cable laying and everything's always a challenge in those environments, but we got it done and got our substation built and everything and then and then into the but then we we're into the winter months so then uh so then things slowed down again a little bit had some uh fun and games um you know there's sort of a couple of big storms there in late january and early february where where we had, to, uh, we had to sort of stand down a couple of times. Um, but uh, then, yeah, we sort of, I suppose, it was sort of March. We got properly a full head of steam and got everything connected and, and it took us about three months, I suppose, to get it all all done and dusted. We had to get being the first of its kind to actually go through the process of um, getting approved by CSA and getting approved by our substation, approved by NSP and, you know, um, declaring commercial operation and and uh, actually getting our ppa activated um and being the first to do that um for sort of been guinea pigs a little bit crash test dummies if you like um but yeah no so so uh, it's it's it, it but it's been a good experience and a, and a good learning process and um, now things are operating pretty reliably pretty steadily
1: that's great i was going to ask you another question about uh the uh... Uh, Underwater turbines, uh, you know, there were a lot of concerns about the impacts of that, but I think you've already uh, uh, talked about that earlier. So, David, over to you.
2: Sure thing. So, we wanted to ask you a little bit about your interaction or interface with Nova Scotia Power. A few years ago, when they built all that wind energy infrastructure in in southwestern Ontario, they then kind of realized that getting that power to where it was actually needed was going to require a massive investment in the actual uh, infrastructure, the grid infrastructure. So tell us a little bit about that relationship with MB Power in terms of how you're connecting to their infrastructure, the distribution infrastructure to get that power to where it's needed. And then as we talk about scaling up further, will it require significant investments in Nova Scotia Power's part to actually be able to transmit that power to where it's needed within Nova Scotia?
3: Sure, so um, so I, I suppose, first of all, I'll just start with with our experience with with Grand Passage. Um, so, so one of the things to be aware of is, is with these demonstration permits um, that the province has provided under the Act. Um, it actually comes with a PPA. Um, so so I suppose we're, we're sort of forced into, or not forced, but, but it's a sort of marriage of convenience or whatever. And and, um, and so of course we have a commercial relationship there with, with Nova Scotia Power. Um, but uh, I suppose it's, it's sort of dictated, the rules are dictated by the province and the UARP. Um, now, to, we only have a small amount of capacity. Uh, we're at the end of the line down at Grand Passage, so we have a 700-kilowatt demonstration project. Um, we actually had to purchase a uh, defunct wind turbine further up the line um, to secure that capacity, um, and, um, and, that sort of, and that sort of worked out. And so we've got a little bit of headroom there and a little bit of room to play with, and we were able to build our substation. But it's been great to work with um, the NSP. They've been very, uh, you know, very... Very, very good to work with and, and, and no, no, no issues, no complaints. Um, up at Force, it's a little bit of a different story uh, because Force, of course, um, was set up and the cables are there and the, and the substations are there and the infrastructure is there. So there's actually a 64, um, a 64 megawatt tie-in there back to the grid um, at Parsborough. So there's a lot of capacity there. Um, that's been, I suppose the province and and, and the federal government had the, had the foresight to invest in getting that there so that, um, so that there was a way to offtake the energy from initial demonstration projects. And that's one of the very attractive things for us, of course, is, is, is if there's an offtake mechanism there with a feed and tariff and, and a way to get your energy to market, um, well, that solves that issue, right? For the next, for the, for the next couple of years, at least. Um, and then the question becomes, okay further down track, where and how do you want the energy to be used um, or, or, or where is it needed? And that's going to be an interesting one in the sort of five to 10-year time horizon, I think, is different different options come online um, and different, And you know, you, you mentioned the wind farms, there'll be more wind farms coming on. I would expect, I'm expecting Floating Wind to make, a, make an appearance on the scene. I'm, hopef- I'm hoping that the, the things we're doing in Tidal can help facilitate that and help. Um, you know, sort of provide the impetus there and some of the supply chain capacities need to make that happen. but there's also going to be other vectors as well, um, like hydrogen ammonia, for example which are getting a lot of a lot of coverage mm. at the moment. so um, yeah, and also um, don't forget that um, electrification itself is going to change the dynamics. So um, electric vehicles are coming and they're coming fast. Europe's going to outlaw the internal combustion engine by 2035. So that's not very far away. So, um, so yeah, so I'm pretty sure there's going to be need for the energy. Um, it's just a matter of how we get it to market in the most efficient manner.
2: Outlaw the sale of new ICE engines by 2035. Yes. Just for those of you that, that uh, Don, uh, for example, might own an older car and he might want to keep it around a little bit beyond 2035. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good point. So so what are your next steps? What are you What are you working on right now over the next six to 12 months in terms of developing tidal power for sustainable?
3: So the big thing for us right now, um, I suppose, is trying to get people comfortable with the technology. Um, and then working collaboratively with the regulators to try and uh, try and get a pathway established that'll let us build out our project at that force. And so, in the meantime, of course, we're we're trying to de-risk things technically. So we're you know monitoring the performance of our systems, and you know we'll be going up and doing surveys and trials and things at the force site. Um, but um, but ultimately, as I mentioned before, we have a we have a customer. Um, we have financing for our project all teed up. Um, but we do need to uh, clear a couple of hurdles with the regulators. And so that's largely down to um, proving that we can monitor uh, the potential environmental impacts up at the forest site, which is no small task um, given the ferocity of the site. And and a lot of these uh, scientific instruments uh, are not designed to be deployed in this type of environment. So we are actually having to do some work very collaboratively with um, with industry and academia and different research institutes at the moment to try and come up with some solutions there um, that will that will be able to provide the the data and so um yeah so hopefully we're just working through that really i think that's 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 the the, the main push i'd say for the remainder of this year and then hopefully next year we can get into um deploying some platforms up at force
1: Yeah, you've mentioned the force a number of times, and I just want to sort of go a little deeper on that. That stands for the Fundy Ocean Research Center for Energy. And as you mentioned, they have some capacity built in to receive power, I guess, uh, at at their site. There's a project, I I might have this wrong, called the PEMPA project, uh, which is the in-stream tidal energy project. So this is what you've been referring to. That that, yep. that, yeah, that absolutely. Eventually, you're gonna. You have a test site in the Grand Passage, but your main sort of uh, sort of focus is this Force site. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So 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 mm-hmm. so Force was established um, as a pre-commercial demonstration site, right. um, and uh, you know it's, it's it's considered by many to be in the industry to be the Everest of uh, tidal energy because of the the excuse the pun, the, the, huge forces at the foresight. <laughs> um, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a formidable resource there and it's, and it, and so that, that makes it quite challenging and, um, knowing what some of our, the people have gone before us and the challenges they've experienced, we want to make sure that we, um, sort of walk it in a sort of stepwise Manner and and de risk it as much as possible, which is why we do all the testing at Grand Passage first. But of course, um, if we can prove that our systems can work effectively at a site like Force, then we can prove that they can work effectively almost anywhere in the world. And so for us, um, getting up there into that site and delivering, and also the, the energy resource is. Fantastic, and the, and the yield is amazing on paper. We have to prove yeah. that it can be done in reality. So, so the PEMPAC project is a is a if you like pre commercial project, and that's the project that I was referring to before that said is is has um, is 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 funded for the first phase, and um, the first phase would involve the deployment of three platforms. And so that's what we're preparing to deliver. Um, Now we're trying to agree with the regulators, what that looks like. Is it going to be okay? One platform plus two, you know, over what period of time, uh, what sort of monitoring are we going to have to do to, to, for people to get comfortable with it? Can we come up with an adaptive monitoring plan that says, Hey, as we deploy this stuff, um, the technology is going to evolve and it's going to change. And so we always want to be incorporating best practices not only from an engineering health and safety point of view, but also from an environmental monitoring and stewardship point of view. So, um, and the more time we spend in that environment, the more things we deploy in it, the more we're going to learn about it. Um, Because as I mentioned before, no one's actually ever managed to deploy anything successfully in that environment. So very little is known about it. um, Because it's very difficult to monitor something if you can't put something there.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, just uh, another. We just have a couple more questions, Jason. Uh, I wondered if there are other applications of your technology in other parts of Atlantic Canada outside of the Bay of Fundy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a couple of different things. So, tidal itself, um, of course. Um, uh, you know, there's there's other sites um, like the Brador Lakes. Uh, there's a couple of challenges there. Or, um, a few sites up in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and of course some sites over in uh, New Brunswick. Um, so um, you know there is tidal resource in other parts of Atlantic Canada. Um, then there's also parts of our technology, if you like, that are um, that are also applicable. So uh, you made reference before to to our anchors. Um, we see that there's a wide range of um, applications. If anyone who's been around Nova Scotia there's a lot of rock, yeah. and so um, yeah, so things, uh, other there's, there's other applications that you know sort of other blue economy applications, which might be other forms of offshore technology or might be infrastructure where our anchors um, could be could be used Um, so yeah so there's so there's different um, yeah there's certainly different 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 applications
2: so I know we talked a little bit earlier about timing but just to be more specific for the listeners where do you if things go well where do you see yourself in the next five years do you think you'll get up to that 10 megawatt capacity if, if things go well within five years like where do you where do you see yourself five years out
3: yeah, that's what we would hope. We would we, we'd, we'd really hope that five years out, um, you know, we're sort of 10 megawatts. We've got, you know, something like, you know, something between a dozen and 20 devices, depending on the scale in the water, sufficient to say, OK, we now know our trade. We now know what its costs, um, you know, and, and we've got sort of the, the basis there to, to scale up and start to create a real industry. And then the last question
2: here, just just uh, to put things into perspective, what percentage of, let's say, Nova Scotia's demand do you think could be met by tidal energy looking out 10 years or more if things go well? Do you think it's, and you talked earlier about the, you're going to, it's going to require a, a multiplicity of, of, of different sources, even potentially offshore wind and onshore, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where do you see tidal? Is it 10%, is it 5%, is it 15 20%? Where do you see it sort of blue skying it? Going out, you know, ten or
3: fifty. Years. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the the demand for energy is going to change, right? So, so you know, it would it could easily take out a significant chunk of the current demand, if not all of it. Um, but I think I think you know, Nova Scotia is quite rich in renewable energy, and of course, the geopolitics of energy are going to change um, because those that have abundant sources of renewable energy are going to become the new players. Um, so. I would imagine that uh, I could see Atlantic Canada becoming a big player um, in, in providing different forms of, 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 of renewable in different energy vectors. Having said that, yeah, I, I think it, it deserves to be up there in the top three, probably, um, you know, maybe doing something like a third or a half of, of uh, you know, Nova Scotia's sort of renewable energy output.
1: Jason, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I think anybody listening to this podcast will know a lot more about tidal uh, power. I know I certainly do after our conversation. So I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast and providing us with the overview of the potential of tidal power in our region. And we'd like to wish you
0: obviously continued success in your efforts. You've been listening to an Encore episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legier helped produce this episode. You can hear past episodes and follow the show by searching for Huddle Insights on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And remember to submit your questions for David and Don about the region's economy in 2023. You can send them by email to news at huddle.today. That's news at huddle.today. Thanks for listening. Don and David will be back again next week.